Good morning and welcome to Glendale Christian Church. My name is Andrew Kirshner. I'm the lead minister here at GCC, and I'm very grateful that you've decided to worship with us today. It is Memorial Day weekend, and we must make sure to thank God Almighty for those who were willing to lay their lives down so that we could worship here together today in the freedom that we enjoy. That we get to experience our special moments because others sacrificed their special moments so that we could be here. There's a special breed of man and woman who is called to join the military that volunteers to sign up and to go for they are men and women who are eager to protect, eager to provide, to protect us from evil and to provide for us opportunity. Now, uh, my best friend Clay O'Dell, our executive minister, you couldn't see today because he had his Marine Corps shirt on. He is a former active duty Marine, and anytime you see him in short sleeves stand like this, you see on his arm the two tattoos. One is Semper Fi, one of the slogans for the Marine Corps, always faithful. The other is John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I am very grateful that my friend did not have to lay his life down, but I'm grateful that he and so many others were willing to lay their lives down. Today as we celebrate, as we have fun picnics, as we roll into our unofficial kickoff to summer, never forget even though it is a happy weekend, it is happy because of the sacrifice that others have made on our behalf. Let us never forget the friendship that they demonstrated to us. The Bible has much to say about friendship. In fact, one of the famous verses is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 17. It tells us that a friend loves at all times. Friends love at all times. A friend is one who will love at all times, not just when things are good, but even when things are not so good. Unfortunately, we live in a world where friendship and love are woefully misunderstood. Just ask anybody 20 or younger, 30 or younger, 10 or younger about their friends and they might be able to tell you the number of internet, Facebook, or social media friends that they have. We don't understand friendship anymore because friendship is too easily gotten. It's a simple click of a button and a simple accept from somebody else. This is not how friendship actually is. The great philosopher Aristotle once said, wishing to be friends is quick work. But friendship itself is slow ripening fruit. Friendship takes a little bit of time. Friendship doesn't just happen when you click a button, but we live in a world where we're so disconnected, where we have people who are happy for us to be disconnected, where children are not taught to go out and play with their friends, but instead sit in front of a screen for hours a day. No wonder we misunderstand friendship. We also misunderstand love. 
Love is a woefully misunderstood concept in our society. We just don't understand what love really means. Sometimes when we think of love, we automatically go towards a sexual component. And there is when a man and a woman are in marriage, of course. But love is so much more than that. Love is care. Love is concern. Love is valuing. And love is affection. Love truly is care. It is a verb. Love is something that you do. And when you demonstrate care for someone else, when you care for their needs, you're demonstrating love. When a friend asks for help, you help. And so if a friend texts you last moment and it says, hey, unloading a big trailer of stuff, any of you guys have time to come over? You put down what you're doing, you put the weed eater down, you put the ladder back in the garage, and you drive over and you help your friend unload. A friend loves at all times. You care. You do something. But love is also concern. A friend loves at all times. A friend is concerned. A friend is concerned for his fellow friend, concerned for his spiritual well-being, concerned for her overall well-being and spiritual well-being. A friend demonstrates not just care, but concern. Care is action. Concern is feeling and drive. And love also involves valuing. We value someone, and that makes them our friend. We value people when we love them. Now, sometimes we value someone because they are remarkable, because they're so cool or so smart or so talented or so skilled, and we like to be around people. Friendship is often based on the fact that we like to be around those. We value what they bring to the table, and we want to be around that. That's good. That's good. But love also involves affection. Affection does not have to be physical at all. Affection is a tenderness of heart. It's where you really like them. So think about what love involves. A friend loves at all times. And here's what love is. Love is a verb. It is an action. It is something you do. It's care. Love is also a feeling. Love is also something concern. You care enough to be concerned about someone. You have concern for their well-being, spiritual and otherwise. And it's also value. You recognize the value that somebody brings to the table. And lastly, you like them. You like your friends. You like your friends. Your friends are great. In fact, friends are really important for understanding love. And in a world that doesn't understand friendship or love very well, we better figure it out because a key to a strong friendship is love. The friendships that you have online with 1,492 other people, most of whom you have either never met physically or once or twice and will never hang out with ever again, that is not the real friendship that I'm talking about. Love is a key to friendship. Love is a key to a strong friendship. That's what you've got to have. And so you may wish to be friends with someone. That happens quickly. But friendship itself ripens slowly. Love oftentimes takes time to develop. Now, yes, Jesus says we can love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But that will not involve all the aspects of love that friendship has. 
That will involve concern, you don't want people to go to hell, and care, sharing the truth with them. It's not tender affection, and it's not valuing either. Loving your enemy is very different than loving your friend, for loving your friend is everything you have. Care, concern, value, and affection. Friends are important. Friends are important. And in our group of friends, sometimes certain friends rise to the fore. Now, in our world, you might call them a best friend. Or, in our children or grandchildren's world, they might call them a best friend forever. The old BFF. They even make little necklaces that are half a heart that's cut right down the middle and one has a B and the other has an F and in the middle they both share an F. Best friends forever. They stick together. Okay, it is alright to have lots of friends and it is alright when some become your inner circle. I like to think about the inner circle of friends. I've got lots of friends, and I am grateful for the friends that I have here. I have many, many friends. I've gone to Men's Encounter with lots of you. I've shared time with lots of you. Lots of you are truly, truly my friend. But I have an inner circle. I have an inner circle of friends with whom I spend the most amount of time, with whom I have the most care, concern, value, and affection. And I'm so grateful for my inner circle. I'm so grateful for Clay and Matt and Cody and Jason, these guys that are my true inner circle. I'm grateful for them, but I love all my friends. But not everybody that I know is my friend. And just because you know lots of people does not make them your friends. Jesus preached to thousands of people, but he had a smaller group that followed him closely. And within that smaller group, there were 12 disciples. And even among those 12 disciples, Jesus had an inner circle. They were Peter, James, and John. Now this inner circle, Jesus' closest friends were really close friends together. These three guys, Peter, James, and John, are actually three people of two brother groups. There are two brother groups in the disciples. Now, of course, Peter is also the brother to Andrew. Andrew's not quite in the inner circle. He's so close. Sometimes he's even the inner four But Jesus' closest inner circle, Andrew just missed the cut. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love him. Jesus loves him just as much as he loves everyone else. But Jesus had an inner three, an inner circle that he poured extra into because he knew something special was going to happen. They were his best friends, even though he had many friends. So, Andrew, the brother of Peter, didn't quite make it, but Peter did. And Peter is the spokesman for the disciples. He's the loudmouth fisherman. He's got a foot-shaped mouth. He fills it often. And he really, really needs Jesus a whole lot. Oh, yes. But Jesus sees something special in this guy. He sees something special in this guy. He's loud. He's brash. He's bold. He's powerful. He could do a lot with and for me. He needs some training. Jesus also called the brother pair of James and John. Now, James is the older, John is the younger. In fact, Peter is probably the oldest of all of the disciples. John is the youngest of all of the disciples. James, the older brother, John, the younger brother, the sons of Zebedee. Their dad, Zebedee, was a great fisherman. In fact, Andrew and uh, Peter were fishermen too. So these guys were successful. They were wealthy. They came from a great family, and they had a fiery temperament. Jesus likes people with fire. 
Did you notice that? All three of Jesus' inner three are fiery kind of guys. They're not the timid kind. They're not the shy sort. They're the rush into battle sort. All three of them. In fact, James and John, the sons of thunder was their nickname. Jesus called them Boanerges, the sons of thunder. Because one day they were walking through Samaria and Jesus walked right through when most Jews would go around. And people were rude to Jesus. The Samaritans were very rude to Jesus. And so, James and John, these fiery sons of thunder, said, Jesus, would you like us to call fire down from heaven and consume these Samaritans? And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not for you to do. They were so eager to defend Jesus' honor from slight and insult, they were ready to burn people alive with God's righteous fire in the same manner of Elijah from the Old Testament. Jesus picked some fiery fellas. And in fact, these three fellas were there for three unique events that no one else got to see. One is recorded in Mark chapter 5. There was a synagogue ruler named Jairus. He had a 12-year-old daughter who was deathly ill. Jairus came up to Jesus as he was traveling around and he was preaching and doing good. And he came to Jesus and he said, Teacher, teacher, if you would come lay your hand on my daughter, I know that she would be well. Will you come? And Jesus said, Yes. And so Jesus and all 12 of his disciples started along the way, but they got interrupted. There was a woman who suffered from severe bleeding. A great crowd gathered around, and she snuck and wove her way in, and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She touched his tallit, and so she was healed. Jesus stopped to address her. Who, who touched me? That power has flown out of me. And he talked to her, and he healed her. Well, it was during this interruption time that Jesus was delayed. As soon as they got near the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, one of the servants came to him and said, Master, your daughter is dead. Why bother the, the teacher any longer? And Jesus said, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Everybody started laughing at him. They said, Jesus, you're nuts. Why all this commotion? He said, she's not really dead. Yes, she's dead, Lord. There's nothing that can be done. And so Jesus sent everyone away except Peter, James, and John. He said, you three, come with me. And he sent everyone out of the house except for Jairus, except for the family. And then he brought Peter, James, and John to the little girl. And Jesus saw her. And he reached his hand down, and he said in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, rise. And she rose right from the dead. And everybody was going nuts and crazy, and Jesus turned right around to his inner circle, and he said, shh, keep it to yourself for now. Another time Jesus revealed something very special just to his inner three is recorded in Mark chapter 9. Now, on this occasion, Jesus took Peter, James, and John after doing a tremendous amount of ministry in the area of uh, Caesarea Philippi. He took them up to a mountain. And on the mountain, they experienced the revealed glory of Jesus, the transfiguration. Jesus began to shimmer and shine. Dazzling white his clothes became. And he revealed his true glory for Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is light of the world. Jesus is the Logos, the second person of the divine trinity, who came to earth, donned human flesh, and he revealed his true nature, not to everyone, not even to all 12 disciples, but only to his inner circle. 
On the Mount of Transfiguration stood Elijah and Moses. And Peter didn't know what to do. Peter, James, and John were freaking out. And so Peter said, hey, should I, should I make some, some shelters for you guys? He, he was so scared he didn't even know what he was saying. And Jesus said, no. No, that's not what's needed. But you needed to see this glory, for this glory will not be seen again until the Son of Man has been killed and three days later rises from the dead. And Peter, James, and John didn't say anything to anyone, but they wondered among themselves, what did Jesus mean, rise from the dead? He let his inner three know what was going to happen. Now, the last time that all three were together, Jesus is, with Jesus is recorded in Mark chapter 14, and here they got to experience Jesus' sorrow. After he instituted the Lord's Supper, he went to the, uh, the Mount of Olives. He went to Gethsemane, and he said, Boys, I need you to keep guard and watch while I go and pray. And he went about a stone's throw away, and he prayed. And he asked, Father, if it's possible, would you take this cup of suffering from me? But not my will, your will be done. And he came back, and he found his inner three asleep. And he said, What are you guys doing? Can't you even stay awake for an hour? Keep watch while I pray. And he went and did it again, and they fell asleep again. And a third time, he said, ah, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It wasn't all 12 who got that experience. It was just Peter, James, and John. In our life, not everyone experiences everything with us. We have an inner circle. Of course, if we're married, our spouse is truly, truly our most inner circle after God. But we have a ring of friends that are closest to us. And we get to experience and converse with them in ways that even our friends, our beloved friends, don't always get to experience. But sometimes, something happens with all of our friends. And there was an occasion on which Jesus met with all of his friends. Not just his inner circle, but the rest of the disciples as well. And Jesus records, or John records for us what happened in the upper room. It's the thing we celebrate every time we do communion, but before Jesus got to the communion portion, he made sure to say this in John 15, verses 9 through 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Listen to what Jesus says. He issues a command to love each other as he loved them. And he says, greater love is no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus doesn't even call his servants, his followers, his disciples, servants any longer. Instead, he calls them friends. For a servant doesn't know his master's business, but Jesus revealed the plan to the boys. They knew what was coming. Jesus talked about the resurrection to them. Now, Peter, James, and John, they saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Jesus reveal his glory. And they saw Jesus pray to the Father, asking that the cup of suffering be taken from him. And they were the only three who got to see those events. 
But all of the disciples were told that Jesus would die and rise again. All were able to see him raise Lazarus from the dead. All were able to see his glory in miraculous form, just not in transfigured form. They were able to see. And you know what? That inner circle paid attention. That inner circle paid really close attention. So close, in fact, that John wrote in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3, these words. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he commanded us. You see, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends the night before he died for them. Now, decades after that, the youngest of the apostles, John, writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Wow. He got it. He figured it out, and then he follows it right up. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, following God's command, and God's command is good. It's to believe in the one he sent and to love one another as he's commanded us. John got it, one of the three. Well, you know who else got it? Peter. Peter, one of the inner circle, he got it. In his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. Now that you've been purified by placing your faith in, the God, in God's grace, in the gospel message, now that you've been saved by grace through faith, here's what I want you to do. You have obeyed the truth. You have sincere love for each other. So now here it is. Love one another deeply from the heart. You're already loving one another. Now love one another deeply. From the heart. You think that inner three listened to Jesus? They seem to say the exact same kind of thing Jesus says. And that's part of friendship. Imitation. It's also part of education. Imitation. Do you notice how friends imitate one another? It's not just by giving an imitation of voice or mannerism or caricature. Sometimes we do this a lot. Like we, we, we say, all right. Describe one of your friends without using any words at all. Okay, well then. If I did that, everybody would know I'm talking about, oh, the Harley-riding, iron horse preacher, all-American college baseball player, Marine Clay Odell. Sure, you don't even have to use any words. We imitate. If I was going to talk about another one of my friends, and I pretended to strum on the guitar, and then sing, and then shoot the basket. Everybody know I'm talking about Chris. Everybody know I'm talking about Chris, because he's a basketball-loving, musical kind of guy. Everybody would know. You don't even have to say. But then, sometimes you imitate your friends by talking like them. Imitation is a big deal. Imitation is one of the sincerest forms of flattery. When you start to imitate your friends, not to make fun of them, but to highlight their excellence. When you start to want to walk the way they walk, that shows you have a mutual knowledge of God with your friends. It shows that you have a shared mission with your friends. It shows that you've chosen your friends carefully. Because as you love one another and you start to act like one another, you are following the example of Jesus' inner circle, who started imitating him. 
And they needed to get that imitation right because they were put to the test. All of the disciples were put to the test. Think about the test that the inner circle of Jesus was put to. It was a tough one. Before John wrote his gospel and before he wrote his epistle, Mark actually records an event one time where James and John went to Jesus. It's in Mark chapter 10. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they went to Jesus and they said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Oh, you just love it when friends or kids say this. Hey, I want you to do something for me. Whatever I want, just do it, all right? I love it when my daughters say that to me because I know it's about to be something ridiculous. And sure enough, Boanerges had a ridiculous thing. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. They wanted to be with Jesus in glory. They knew Jesus had the center seat and they wanted to sit at the right and they wanted to sit at the left so that everyone would know how awesome the sons of Zebedee truly are. They wanted everyone to see it. A little bit of pride filled in there. But, You're kind of a prideful guy if you think you can call down fire from heaven to protect Jesus. Yeah, sure. But Jesus wants that fire. Jesus knows those guys are filled with zeal. And Jesus wants zeal-filled men. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Oh, oh, you can? Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. You know what the cup is, right? Jesus asks, Father, would you take this cup of suffering from me? Yet not my will, your will be done. Can you drink the cup I drink? Can you get baptized at the baptism I get baptized with? The baptism of death? Can you handle this? Oh, we can. And sure enough, they would have to. In fact, the only time that the Apostle James is ever mentioned by himself and not in connection with either his brother John or with one of his best friends Peter is in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. Verse 1 for context. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. He gets one verse where he does something by himself and it's die. Now, remember, this apostle James is not the James who wrote the book of James. The James who wrote the book of James is Jesus' earthly half-brother. It's his brother. It's the son of Mary and Joseph. James the apostle is the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, Boanerges, one of the disciples who followed him from the beginning. His brother, Jesus' brother James, didn't follow Jesus until after the resurrection. James the apostle was the first apostle put to death. Not the first Christian put to death. That honor belonged to Stephen, and he gets an entire chapter and a verse about his death. The Apostle James gets one verse. You might think, man, that's a raw deal. How could James, 
the follower of Jesus, one, one half of the sons of thunder, only get one verse. We don't know anything he wrote. We don't know much about what he did, except that he lived for Jesus from the time of the resurrection until his death in Acts chapter 12. And in these intervening years, we saw this son of thunder thunderously declare the truth. Proclaim the gospel and bring people to the Lord. So that when the grandson of Herod the Great, the same king who tried to kill baby Jesus, the uh, cousin of Herod Antipas, who tried to kill and have adult Jesus killed, now new King Herod, starts to persecute the church. Well, you want to persecute the church, you better chop off the leaders. And he knew the inner circle. And so he had James put to death. Verse 3 tells us that this pleased the Jews who were upset with the church. And so then he had Peter arrested, fixing to execute him too. But in Acts chapter 12, there's a divine jailbreak and Peter goes free for now. But James's brother, John, he wouldn't go free. John gets arrested. John uh, is attempted. Uh, his assassination is attempted a number of times. But John actually turns out to be the only apostle who doesn't die a martyr's death. He gets kicked out of society, sent to the island of Patmos to rot and die alone. He was willing to go, though. And it was during that time on his island, his island adventure on Patmos, that Jesus revealed himself and had John write the book of Revelation. James drank the cup Jesus drank. John drank the cup Jesus drank. He was scorned. He had his back turned on by all of society and he was sent away. They were both willing to die. And even though John wasn't killed, he was sent to die alone. He was willing to go. Peter, the other part of that inner three, he was willing also. In fact, in the Gospel of John, John records Jesus saying this, Very truly I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Many years after his best friend James was killed by Herod, Peter died. Oh, in the intervening years, Peter preached the gospel to thousands and thousands of people. He wrote two epistles that we still read today. And, in fact, his sermons were the foundation for John Mark to write the gospel of Mark. In fact, if you read Peter's sermon from Acts chapter 10 in front of Cornelius, and you line it up with the gospel of Mark, it's the exact same outline. John Mark followed Peter, and Peter followed the Lord, and Peter had a lot to do with the spread of the gospel. But Jesus even told him, this is how you're going to die, big boy. When you were young, you went where you wanted, but when you're old, someone will stretch out your hands, and they'll lead you where you don't want to go. And in fact, Peter found himself arrested, and he was facing spear end of the Roman Empire, and King Nero was ready to have him executed. And so what Jesus did was die by crucifixion, and they were going to kill Peter by crucifixion too. But Peter said, no, no, no. Don't hang me in the same way they hung my Lord. And they said, oh, we're crucifying you to death, Peter. And he said, fine, then hang me upside down at least. I followed him. 
I can't die in the exact same way he did. I'm not worthy. Flip, flip it upside down. And they said, your funeral, dummy. And they flipped it, crucified him, and he died. All three of them of the inner circle, they were willing to do what Jesus did. They were willing to follow that example. They had it figured out. The key to a strong friendship is love. Jesus is my friend. They knew that. He's my king. He's my Lord. He's my God. They knew that. But he's also my friend. He's my friend because he reveals to me all of his business. He shares with me everything he's got. He tells me who he is. He reveals his glory to me. He shows me who he is. He tells me all that the Father revealed to him. He's given me the Spirit to remind me of everything he told me. Jesus is my friend. Not just my King. Not just my Lord. Not just my God. Not just my Savior. Jesus is my friend. The inner three knew that. The inner circle of Christ knew that well. And even though they'd been friends and friendly rivals since before they met Jesus, they followed his perfect example. And they knew that they had to lay down their lives. And they were willing to do so. Are we? This week, I've got some very specific things I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to read John 15. I want you to read John chapter 15. It's a beautiful chapter. I want you to read the entire chapter of John 15. And then I want you to read 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. I want you to read these beautiful verses. And I want you to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. I want you to read these verses because you will see the command that Jesus gives and you will see how his inner circle were able to pair it back those same commands in Scripture filled by the Holy Spirit so that we could be blessed by the words of God spoken through these men. I want you to read these chapters. And then I want you to memorize John chapter 15, verses 12, 13, and 14. It's a beautiful little section. It's not difficult. It says, this is the command. This is my command. Love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I want you to memorize those words. I want you to memorize them. I want you to tattoo them to your mind the same way Clay tattooed them to his arm. I want you to memorize them. I want you to write it down and put it on your bathroom mirror. I want you to recite it daily. I want you to write it down many times so that you get these words in. I want you to take scripture and tuck it away in your heart and in your mind. This is what we're called to do. I want you to take and continue to memorize 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And I want you to, to memorize now John 15, 12, 13 and 14. And next week I'll have another little passage for you to memorize. For the more scripture we tuck away in our heart, the better off we will be. Third, I want you to tell your friends you love them. And then I want you to show them. I love to hear the words, I love you. I love to hear those words. They're special, deep, 
and meaningful to me. It's not weird at all when my friends who are men come up and hug me and say, I love you, man. I appreciate that very much. I love that greatly. And I love it when my friends hug me and tell me that they love me. I want you to tell your friends that you love them. And then I want you to show them that you love them. Now, how could you show your friends that you love them? If your friend asks you for help, you help. So help them if they're in need. If your friend is going through a dark down time, be there with them during that dark down time. And when the time is right, you can seek to be the light for them. How can you show them that you love them? When your friend is rejoicing, rejoice alongside them and mourning, mourn alongside her. That's how you show your friends that you love them. That you remember what they've done. You celebrate with them. You enjoy the barbecue today and tomorrow in their presence. And you remember those who laid down their lives so that you could have that barbecue Which leads us to the last thing I want you to do this week. I want you to thank God for those who laid down their lives for us. That's what I want you to do. This week I want you to pray to God Almighty, thanking Him for Memorial Day. Thank Him for those who signed the dotted line and were willing to lay down their lives. And thank Him specifically for those who did and then had to. Not just willing to, but had to lay down their lives. It's because of their sacrifice that our nation is what it is today. Let us thank God for that. And then we can ask Him to fix this place. Would you stand with me right now as we thank God for friends? For friends we know and for friends who we barely know but still showed love to us in the most powerful and great way possible, following the example of the Lord.